Welcome back to Bitcoin Builders. Today, we have a weekly recap edition of Builders where we are asking, are ordinals dead? We'll also look at a mysterious whale, a little bit of a mining update, and much more. Bitcoin Builders is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated entirely to Bitcoin and Lightning. Go to wolfnyc.com to learn more, and thanks to them for supporting the show. It's Saturday, August 26th. This is Bitcoin Builders. Let's go. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Bitcoin Builders. Well, it has been a quiet time. If you go back and listen to my conversation with James Check from Glassnode, a lot of what we discussed is how we were now officially in the period where volatility is incredibly tamped down, where the worst of the bear market might be over, but the new bull market hasn't really yet begun, and we're just in a sort of long, slogging, boring hinterland. However, of course, if you look across the course of this year, Bitcoin has seen a lot of creativity and innovation and excitement, or depending on who you ask, aberration and horror. And so where I wanted to start today is with the discussion of ordinals. Now, according to a report from DAP Radar, ordinal sales are down 97% since May, while NFTs on other protocols have also been having a decidedly cold summer finally capitulating after trying desperately to cling on, it still doesn't seem to compare to the drop-off in trading for Bitcoin NFTs. Sales peaked in May at $452 million for the month across over 800,000 transactions, while partial data for August points to a total of only $3 million for the month. A little over 20,500 ordinals have changed hands so far in August. So, has the novelty worn off? Ordinals had a brief peak of interest during May and June, but now have collapsed to less than half the transactions from March, which was the first full month when ordinals were actively traded. DAP Radar said in their report, The pronounced decline in Bitcoin ordinal sales and the downtrend in the NFT market in general raises pivotal questions about the future of NFTs on the Bitcoin blockchain. While it's too early to dismiss Bitcoin ordinals entirely, the market's behavior serves as a cautionary tale about the volatility and unpredictability of the NFT space. Many in the community believe that Bitcoin and Ethereum serve different purposes, and perhaps the delineation should be clearer. The coming months will be crucial in determining whether Bitcoin finds a foothold in the ever-evolving NFT landscape or reverts to its primary role as a store of value. Now, for all of that, there are plenty of ordinals enjoyers who think rumors of their death have been greatly exaggerated. For example, despite the collapse in trading, ordinals still punch way above their weight class in terms of Bitcoin transactions, according to some. Leonidas, the developer of Ordinals Portal Org.io, tweeted earlier this week, Over the past 24 hours, Bitcoin had 530,788 transactions. 450,785 of those transactions were ordinals related. In the midst of everyone claiming ordinals are dead, they have literally accounted for 84.9% of the activity on Bitcoin. You just can't make this stuff up. Adding some larger aggregate validity to that, a Dune Analytics dashboard provided by user J543 puts ordinals transactions at 49% of Bitcoin usage over the past month. Others in the ordinals community called out the DAP radar report as just plain wrong. Trevor Owens of the Bitcoin Frontier Fund broke down the numbers across multiple sources and came to the conclusion that Ordinal's volume had dropped by 66%. That's still a large falloff, but nowhere near as dire as the 97% calculated by DAP Radar. Owens characterized Ordinal's as coming down from peak frothiness rather than in terminal decline. He tweeted, Did Ordinal's speed run a hype cycle? Absolutely. Is Ordinal's volume down significantly compared to the peak? Yes. Could it go down further? Sure. But so what? The ordinals market is no different from any other new asset in the space, and no different from what we've seen on other NFT ecosystems. These things come and go in cycles. Many people knew this would happen, 
and it doesn't change my conviction on the technology or the future of the space. So let's take a step back and ask about impacts beyond just whether you like ordinals or hate ordinals. How have they impacted the Bitcoin ecosystem? Well, for one, Taproot is now well and truly adopted. Prior to the introduction of ordinals, Taproot utilization was below 2%. The Bitcoin NFTs, which require the use of Taproot transactions, drove adoption completely off the scale. Utilization of Taproot peaked above 40% in early May, alongside the blow-off top in the ordinals mania. Interestingly, users have not turned their back on Taproot, continuing to utilize the transaction type at over 25% utilization this month. Crypto analyst Zach Bull wrote, Every Bitcoin maximalist cheered Taproot. Now that it's actually used for something, they won't stop screeching about it. Stop drinking Haterade and just vibe. Now, I think another claim that is easy to make is that ordinals introduce something new into Bitcoin development and politics. Love them or hate them, ordinals absolutely got people talking about what Bitcoin should and shouldn't be used for, and what sort of features should or shouldn't be built into the protocol. In the loudest way in years, real discussions have been had about problems of ossification and stagnation within the developer community. New developers arrive to build weird things at hackathons and test out novel features unlocked by ordinal theory applied to SATs. Even if they were to be found to be dead, and I am not claiming that they are, ordinals would still have been a fascinating experiment in what's possible to do on Bitcoin with a little bit of lateral thinking. From their inception, they weren't really about using obvious features of Bitcoin, but rather combining existing functionality and novel ways to achieve a strange but arguably useful outcome. And it seems highly likely that they will pave the way for other interesting developments in Bitcoin as well. One fascinating project that can build on the lessons learned is Lightning Labs' Taproot Assets Protocol. Once operational, the project aims to allow arbitrary assets to be issued on the Bitcoin blockchain and transacted over Lightning. The key product will be an experimental stablecoin, which could significantly boost the functionality of Bitcoin-only projects. And to be clear, there's still plenty of building and innovation going on as well. Multiple teams continue to work on various forms of decentralized order books and DeFi primitives. Some of the prominent projects use Nostra to transmit an order book to traders, an idea that has been floating around for some time with teams like Block's TBD project. Others are attempting to improve the art. One concept, for example, is known as recursive inscriptions, which use code to programmatically render an image or video rather than attempting to store a JPEG or GIF on-chain. This process can reduce the size of an inscription by up to 1,000 times. On-chain monkeys have launched their Dimension series using this process. It's allowing them to store beautifully rendered 3D animations in just 490 bytes. CEO and co-founder of Metagood, Danny Yang, said, A vast expanse of potential is being unlocked on Bitcoin, and soon we'll witness developers exploring, innovating, and crafting new applications and solutions. Danny Hoop, founder of the Stanford Bitcoin Meetup, said, Bitcoin Ordinals is very much alive. We're at the dawn of digital artifacts, a new thing in the world worth learning about, just like Bitcoin was worth learning about a decade ago and worth learning about today. He followed that up, My Bitcoin Ordinals is dead tweet got 10x more engagement than usual. Does that mean Ordinals is not dead? Maybe Bitcoin is dead and Ordinals is reviving it. Either way, digital artifacts are a new asset class, and Bitcoin is now both a store of value and a medium for art. Sanj Fomojis went even farther. In a thread they wrote, Is it just me, or is the Ordinals is dead narrative ironically highlighting one of the biggest bull cases for Ordinals? Ordinals might just be the most durable, immutable collectible asset we ever see. Physical collectibles and art degrade over time. Other blockchain storing collectibles may not exist in 10 years. If there's a blockchain I'm going to bet on being here for the next 100 years and beyond, it's Bitcoin. For ordinals to die, Bitcoin must too. Inscriptions are literally just data stored on a Satoshi, aka Bitcoin. Ordinals have proven to be the main use case for Bitcoin block space. With block rewards having every four years, Bitcoin security depends on block space being used to generate fees and pay miners. Ordinals accounted for 53.9% of the activity on Bitcoin in the week they were pronounced dead. 85% on the day they were pronounced dead. 
Finally, it's much more than JPEGs. Ordinals may just be the use case Bitcoin needs to help ensure its future security. Don't get me wrong, I am a massive believer in high-end digital collectibles. I believe some of the most expensive assets will be artwork stored on Bitcoin. But collectibles is just the proof of concept. The Trojan horse is something much bigger. The true power of inscriptions is storing immutable data on the strongest, most decentralized, and censorship-resistant blockchain to ever exist. A decentralized internet. Immutable on-chain data. Real estate deeds, insurance documents, tickets, memberships, tokens, proof of identity. We're just scratching the surface. Zoom out. Ordinals can only die if Bitcoin dies. So what do I think about all of this? The funny thing about Bitcoiners is that at dinner, you're welcome to talk about politics and money, but you really shouldn't talk about NFTs. In all seriousness, I have a whole bunch of feelings about ordinals. One, I think stress tests of Bitcoin are good. Two, I think seeing fee markets develop on Bitcoin is good. Three, in general, I support the free market's ability to allocate block space as it sees fit. But four, I also support members of the community making a normative argument that that's not what Bitcoin block space is for because there are more important use cases. One can say the market gets to decide what important use cases are, but that's not an a priori value. That's something to be debated like anything else. I think this one won't surprise you that these types of debates and conversations are good. They are healthy. They are productive, even if we don't always have them in the most productive ways. When it comes to digital art and digital collectibles themselves, I feel roughly the same way that I felt when NFTs weren't on Bitcoin, which is that it totally makes sense to me why people get excited about them, but it's not something that particularly matters to me. When it comes to why someone would want their digital collectible or digital artifact on the most secure, decentralized blockchain, that makes complete sense to me. And in fact, that's where I most agree with that last thread that we just read, that I think that there are other types of things that are going to be inscribed to Bitcoin that are much, much more significant than just weird proxies of NFT collections from Ethereum. I don't know if it's going to be real-world asset type things or banned books, but the idea is compelling. And so, as they say, ordinals are dead. Long live ordinals. Shifting directions a little bit, a mysterious whale has emerged in recent months, gobbling up Bitcoin at a rapid pace. In just three months, this wallet has accumulated over 118,000 Bitcoin after starting with just a fifth of a Bitcoin. At its peak, the wallet was worth over 3.7 billion in mid-July, although this has obviously contracted somewhat alongside the recent downturn in Bitcoin's price. This made the wallet the third largest Bitcoin holder on the network, behind the Binance cold wallet and the Bitfinex cold wallet. Speculation around the ownership of the wallet has, of course, been rampant. Early on, and persistently, frankly, there have been suspicions that the whale could be BlackRock, accumulating Bitcoin in anticipation of the launch of their ETF. The whale's first major Bitcoin purchase was made on May 16th, close to a month before the BlackRock ETF application was submitted. Other astute commentators also noted that ETFs don't typically start with a massive pile of assets. Instead, they accept assets from qualified investors in exchange for newly created shares. This is, for example, what we saw in late 2021 with the launch of the first Bitcoin futures ETF. A week of frenzied trading saw institutional investors purchase futures contracts in bulk and deposit them to create the necessary supply of ETF shares. Then earlier this week, Colin Wu of news outlet Wu Blockchain thought he had cracked the case. He noticed that Gemini's identified cold wallet had been drained of funds at the same time the mysterious whale was accumulating. The amount seemed to match, although the transfers weren't routed directly. Confusing the matter, Nansen have labeled the wallet as owned by Robinhood under the custody of Jump Trading. But if we assume this was Gemini rotating their cold wallet, there's still the question of why they did it like this. Previous Gemini cold wallet rotation was all over in a matter of days. This time around, the transfer was done over the course of three months. 
added to the mystery, the transfer seems to have been done using enough privacy that even the top on-chain trackers weren't aware. Still, ultimately, it's a fair question to ask whether it matters, other than just being of curiosity to the space. For that, I will leave you with a tweet from Checkmatey who says, Usually when people track whales, they are looking at exchanges, which inverts all observations. Whales bought the dip equals people deposited and sold. Whale watching has high narrative but low signal ROI in my experience. The human fascination with whales is extraordinary to watch. It's why the smart money will always be better off. They work out that markets are a game of emotions, not news. Now, speaking of ETFs, for the past few weeks, Bitcoin enthusiasts and ETF nerds have begun a new tradition. Every Tuesday and Friday, they gather in front of their computer screens at 11 a.m. to mash the refresh button. Those days are when new court opinions are typically published by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And of course, the hotly anticipated decision is in the Grayscale case. Last June, Grayscale sued the SEC, calling the decision to disallow conversion of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an ETF arbitrary and capricious. It has now been over 150 days since oral arguments were heard in court, the average time a decision takes to be published. 94% of last year's decisions were published within 160 days, a date which came and went last week. Bloomberg legal analysts have given Grayscale 70% odds of winning the case. The Grayscale team appear to be making preparations advertising for additional members to join their ETF team last week. Of course, a decision in favor of Grayscale would almost certainly force the SEC's hand to reconsider approving the conversion of GBTC. It would also be likely to impact the approval of nine other Bitcoin spot ETFs with pending applications. That is, of course, the cohort that's headlined by an application from BlackRock. Now, the SEC did recently defer their decision on an application from ARK and 21 shares, who applied several months before the other fund managers. The next deadline for the regulator to make a call on the other applications is in mid-October, but the SEC can elect to approve the ETFs at any time. Still, even with a negative result in court, the SEC could still drag their feet. Recently, the GBTC discount compared to the price of Bitcoin has narrowed to the smallest discrepancy in over a year. Many think the GBTC discount will narrow even more than its current 26% if the lawsuit is decided in Grayscale's favor, but still the gap may not disappear. Chase White, a senior research analyst at Compass Point Research and Trading, said, We don't think it'll close entirely, because we think in the days or weeks following the decision, the market will begin to digest the fact that Grayscale's win does not mean immediate approval to convert GBTC into an ETF. White's belief is that the court would likely require the SEC to review Grayscale's application, which would reset the clock on the SEC decision, meaning that the process could take, again, up to 240 days to complete. He also noted that, quote, the threat of an SEC appeal could dampen the positive sentiment once that reality sets in. For now, we will just have to continue waiting and sitting down to refresh the website each Tuesday and Friday. Frankly, what better do we have to do at the moment? Now a few updates from the world of mining. Nodal Power has raised $13 million in seed funding to build out their carbon-negative Bitcoin mining operation. The company uses methane generated by landfills to power their mining rigs and has already deployed two major sites. The first site in the southeast of the U.S. generates electricity from landfill gas, which is then shared between the local power grid and an on-site data center. The second site is located in the Mountain West region and is entirely off-grid, with a data center powered exclusively by landfill gas. A third site is planned for early next year. Now, by way of background, landfills generate methane from the decomposition of organic waste, which can be captured to power gas generators. Methane is more than 25 times as potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas, so contributes significantly more to global warming. This makes any methane mitigation significantly more effective in reducing climate impact than carbon reduction. Nodal Power CEO Brian Black said in a press release, We've developed solutions specifically for smaller landfills that allow us to bring these overlooked resources to market. 
Our technology and energy-first approach have the potential to make a significant impact on local energy markets. Now, Nodal are primarily an energy company rather than a Bitcoin company. Where possible, they supply methane-fueled electricity to the grid. Still, that isn't always practical, and electricity demand fluctuates, so the firm also employs Bitcoin mining to monetize excess electricity rather than shut off their methane-mitigating operations. Matthew Jones, Nodal Power's co-founder and chief operating officer, said, Bitcoin mining is a secondary tool we use when grid economics aren't as favorable. Probably noteworthy that our largest facility is the smallest Bitcoin deployment, because a majority of the time we dispatch the electricity to the grid instead of using it ourselves. Worth noting, a recent KPMG report suggested that the volume of methane currently being flared across the US and Canada could potentially power the entire Bitcoin network at its current hash power. Daniel Batten tweeted, Increasing awareness of how much a climate hazard landfills are, and that power generation is the best use in most cases. Problem is 75% of landfills can't sell to the grid, so must use that power on site. If only we had a user of that power on site. Elsewhere in the world of mining, Genesis Digital Assets have announced the inauguration of their new mining facility located in far northern Sweden. The data center currently operates at 8 megawatts with plans for further expansion in the near future. Note Genesis Digital Assets is an industrial-scale Bitcoin mining firm with no affiliation to DCG-owned Genesis Global Trading. The new facility has been in operation since June of this year and is located near the 417-megawatt Porges Hydroelectric Power Station. The location allows the Genesis facility to mine Bitcoin entirely carbon-free using cheap and abundant renewable energy. This is Genesis's third facility across Sweden within a three-year span after a successful pilot in 2020. Tim Kara, head of Nordic Operations at Genesis, said, With abundant energy sources, a pro-innovation environment, and a strong educational system that results in a great culture of innovation, we believe that Sweden is one of the best countries in the world where to mine Bitcoin and expect to further invest in this beautiful region moving forward. Now over on the market side of mining, hash prices plummeted to an all-time low after Bitcoin markets took a dive late last week. Hash price is a metric that measures the effective reward per hash for Bitcoin miners. That metric has never been lower in either US dollar or Bitcoin terms. Still, the Bitcoin network's hash rate still stands at over 429 terahashes per second, more than twice the hash power on the network at this time last year. Lastly, speaking of interesting metrics, ARK Invest and Glassnode have unveiled a new metric for analyzing Bitcoin supply and demand dynamics. Their new framework for thinking about Bitcoin analysis is called Coin Time Economics. They said in a report that this approach would paint, quote, a more accurate picture of the real economic weight of each Bitcoin in the network. The metric includes a measurement of the last time each Bitcoin on the network was transacted. The report that presented the new metric said, the importance of a single Bitcoin should vary based on the time it last moved. The information value of a Bitcoin that has been unmoved for 10 years is more important than one that has been unmoved for one week. Now, one criticism of current metrics is that they are somewhat subjective, which the report said can lead to, quote, analysts made decisions that may be prone to inaccuracies. Adjusted supply and free float supply were given as examples of these subjective Bitcoin metrics. This framework introduced a new unit of measurement called a coin block. This measurement takes into consideration the number of blocks produced during the period when a Bitcoin is held between transactions. The report said, it provides a more precise version of the market value to realize value ratio. It gives a more accurate measurement of Bitcoin's inflation rate over time, its volume, and its time-weighted cost basis. Really cool stuff. I love seeing analysts continue to uncover new ways to understand the data that we get on chain. So go check out that report. For now, that is going to do it for this edition of the Bitcoin Builders Weekly Recap. I want to say thanks one more time to my sponsor in Wolf's Clothing, Wolf the only startup accelerator for Bitcoin and Lightning companies. And of course, a big thanks to you guys for listening. Until next time, let's build.